This is the Power Up Podcast, show 133. I still teach typing. Do you really? <laughs> yes, I do. do you really? Yeah, so, so you also work with, you know, K through. So well, there's, there's an intentionality behind it, and I will explain Maybe we my save reasoning. this for another session, but I would love to debate this with you. Because I would, I would love a, a gentleman that's been in education for about 50 years. I would love to hear what, no, in all seriousness, like what, what's, what's the type? Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Herman, host of the Power Up Podcast, and I'm here with my good friends and my co-hosts today, as always, this time in person, Mr. Matt Rogers. I'll, I'll spare you a nickname today. Wow. Be kind. All right. Mr. Ryan Anthony. Hello. And Mr. Tom Goolish. Hello. Did I say your name right? No, you didn't. Okay. I, <laughs> We've only known each other, what, 10? Turn off with a bang. Yeah. Would you yeah. like to correct me? It's Gillish. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. All right. So, so we the are EUC here. See, is silent. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are here. We're clearly not going to have any fun today uh, to wrap up our summer series. Which, again, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast in the summertime, we like to focus on specific professional development topics where we can dive a little bit deeper, as opposed to our typical show format where we have on one or two amazing educators learn about them, their passions, and and how they've connected with students and and made education better place. So today we're going to talk about the future of education, specifically technology and, and STEM related. And that's all, how we've all gotten to know each other for the last uh, five years, I think, seven years, right? So um, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your past as an educator, maybe sure. you can do it short for once, nope. and then what you, what you do here where we are recording live at, at Fluxspace. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Ryan Anthony. Um, I'm a former eighth grade science teacher. So I taught eighth grade science for close to 11 years. Um, was a Got into like a STEM ed, ed tech coaching role. Um, and had a really cool opportunity at my old district to renovate an outdated space. And in that project, I uh, got frustrated about what should go in it, what technology works, what does the space design impact, things like that. So kind of became really passionate about figuring that out and what spaces like this presented learning opportunities to my students and what ed tech work best. Do we get a 3D printer? Why are we having a 3D printer? Um, so I found myself kind of studying that, putting it together and, and through that process uh, created what we called the hub um, at my old district. And it was cool seeing the opportunities it created students. So I think for me, I got excited and passionate about, well, why can't every district have a hub or why can't we create these really cool learning environments for students, but more importantly, the really cool experiences that were coming out of these spaces. So um, what we created here at Fluxspace, I was very fortunate to kind of put that idea out into the universe about some kind of consulting vendor rep relationship. Um, I was able to meet a gentleman by the name of Bill Corbett. Uh, we're here at the Corbett Inc. Experience Center. Uh, he had a similar vision about uh, improving the learning experience overall and shaping what the future of ed looks like. And him and I kind of hit it off and uh, made a decision to kind of start up Fluxspace together. So it lives here uh, within the Corbett Enterprise. And so Fluxspace Innovations, LLC, we help schools, we partner with schools. The word I like to use is demystify. It's fancy. 
but uh, it helps schools navigate what we think the future of education looks like from very consultative solutions. Here's what we think it's moving, but uh, here's the doing part of it. We experiment with these things. We test it out. So Fluxspace has become this hands-on experience center for educators, students, the community members to come experiment, play uh, what the future of education can look like, not just the flash in the pan, but not tech just for tech's sake, but something that's a little bit more intentional planning and helping schools improve their learning experiences and pushing the boundaries about what they're doing with their kids. So yeah, it's been good. Thanks for the, the short version of that. Yeah. Sorry, a little passionate as you can tell. So when we, when we all first met uh, and really started working together, we started a, um, an event called STEM Camp EDU. And I remember when we were starting that, and I know Matt felt the same, we, knew the organizer through a technology experience. And I didn't really have much STEM experience. And then I met Tom, who had been teaching STEM, doing STEM for years, and really taught us everything that that we know. So so Tom, why don't you introduce yourself? And I'm Tom Gillish. I've worked for the same district for, I'm on my 23rd year now. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I started there, uh, I, I was teaching second grade for a little while, moved up to fourth. And... I was really disheartened by the complete lack of any kind of tech ed that was in, in any of the classrooms. It was, it was a mess. So I started to really bug the board and bring them in and show them weird things I was doing with my students. And then the opportunity arose where the board said, look, if you will just, why don't you just create like another special uh, and just teach this to every student in the entire school. So that's where I, when I left fourth grade, and that's been, I think, uh, my 14th or 15th year of what would be considered like a STEM class, where at the time that term didn't even exist at all. It was just, I do this weird thing that no one else is doing. And now everyone's doing it. And it's awesome to see how it has, how, how it has evolved. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm still doing right now. I'm, I'm K through five now. I teach at two different schools. And I, I would say one of the highlights this year is I brought back wood shop for my students, mm. like a traditional wood shop. And some people might think that's kind of a step backwards. But for these kids who don't have that hands-on experience, it was a huge step forward, in my opinion. So cool. That's great. So as we jump into kind of the, the topic at hand for the episode, really, I guess... For you, Tom, you have seen transitions in education. You were a unicorn going out there uh, in more more ways than one, maybe, but going out there and trying some new things. Ryan, I know from your experience, seeing an opportunity, getting super psyched, seeing your kids super mm-hmm. excited about it. Uh, we happened to jump on board at the right time before it became popular. And over the past few years, we've seen you know, innovative education and STEM or whatever the case you want to frame it, have acronyms and labels like project-based learning and uh, whether it's the the robotics encoding and the the influence of that type stuff, we've seen it done well. Uh, We've seen plenty of examples of it seen not done well Mm. for the justification of saying, I think I'm doing the right thing. What are some of those pros of the the growing process? And what are some of the things that you feel like uh, going forward are the kind of foundational principles to make it quality? 
Yeah, I think for me, um, when I was working with my students, I realized days where I introduced them or I gave them an experience, like something they could do or something they experienced was much more beneficial than like, hey, sit down, get the information. Um, so in the work, it's like everybody has their own acronym, STEM, STEAM, STRAMELA, you know, whatever you want to put out there. Um, but I think the key part that I always gravitated towards was the idea of like student-centered learning. So the idea of like moving students from just passive receptors of knowledge to active participants. And if these spaces and experiences made them active participants, we're heading in the right direction. So a lot of the work that I was doing then, you know, before Fluxbase was um, just seeing what other schools were doing. And they were saying they were doing STEM and they were saying they had maker spaces, but you go visit it and it just was stuff sitting on shelves or they had a 3D printer, which wasn't being used because nobody knew how to use it. It's just an administrator or somebody said, oh, we're making a maker space. Uh, pick a 3D printer. Like there's no there's no intention behind the experiences that you're building. So I think like part of what we want to do and what I saw is focus on learning as an experience and what are the products, programs, stuff that's going to support that experience, whether it be just cardboard and upcycled materials, prototyping type things, all the way up to digital fabrication with laser cutters and printers is have an intention behind what experiences you're trying to build. And then off of that, match the products, programs, what does the space look like? What does support look like? So have a reason for it. So schools that, you know, not that you have to plan everything and be super organized, but at least have a clear vision of we're trying to create these types of experiences for our students and then backfill all the stuff from there. Not just, hey, we're going to do STEM or maker spaces, but you know, that's why I think we get excited about the tours that we do and the people that are coming here because they get to see what we're experimenting with. They get to see their students here interacting with it. Um, so just more intention behind things um, with a little bit of a focus on what experience is a student going to get. And then once you're focused on that, I think the rest kind of falls into place. So well, I'm sure you've seen this stuff change over 14 years. So <laughs> oh, how, does, absolutely. how does it, how do you Is it 23 to, years? To, 23 years as a teacher. So yeah. to add on to what Matt said, how do you feel your evaluation process for like bringing back woodshop and your justification for how you evaluate what your students experience has has changed and, and what is that criteria for you now um most importantly i look where i want when when i get to teach a child from k all the way through fifth grade i see those kids for six years and i really want them to leave me with a super broad experience of many many different things and the more varied I can make that experience, the more it is, the, the more important it is to me. And I'm lucky that my district lets me make those choices. They trust me as a professional to say, mm -hmm. really, you think that's the way to go? Like, yeah, I want to try it. Okay, go for it. And they've never, I, I've, I've been honest with them. I've gone into like, this one was kind of a failure. I don't like this. We're going to move on from there. This would be, this particular thing is better placed here. Okay, great. Thank you for being honest. Let's take care of that. So they've always let me fail and I've always embraced the failures and or not such failures, but things that don't quite fit and gone on and tried new things. So most of that's the most absolute most important thing is just to accept the fact that some things might not work and learn from it and mm -hmm. be a professional and just go in and change things that need to be changed and accept the fact that the first, second, third time that you do something might not work out well. Right. Well, so I, I think that like we've had conversations, all of us at this table to say that, you know, there's plenty of learning in those less than successful experiences. Mm. Yeah. And, and when talking with an admin, you're really looking at, you know, growth and opportunity. And, and I think as we, when you're saying student centered, I, one of the things that I want to point out that I just thought of is uh, someone in a special 
criteria, which STEM is often put into as a box of, hey, this is what you can do with kids for 40 some minutes, one time a week, um, mm -hmm. was that 20 some times a year, when you look at it from that narrow lens, and immediately you saying, hey, I have this opportunity from K through six, what am I building towards that mm -hmm. seems like you can actually build something. Mm -hmm. So from both of your perspectives, STEM was a justification for a long time. How do you go and say, I'm going to use the time that I have to make it as purposeful as possible? Ooh, that's that's a good one. Um, wow. I would have to say, to start out, I look at my kindergarten kids, and, I, and we have a solid map. We sit down and look all the way up when these kids leave me, what do we want them to be the best at? And really, I don't want them to be great at anything. I want lots of experiences. Mm -hmm. So if we can send out a well-rounded student that has the ability to look at any kind of problem, any kind of new technology and say, okay, I have no idea what this is, but I am going to approach it as I approach everything else. I'm not going to panic and I'm just going to go into that totally new thing that I don't know how to work and I'm just going to explore it and figure out how it works. If we can send them off just with that skill to just walk, to say, I can handle this and just do it, then that would be the, the number one thing that I look at. Which is completely applicable because you look at, you know, 20 years on the horizon, whatever job they have, mm -hmm. they have one job and they use this program for when they work in HR, this is the program they use. They get a new job, they're going to use a completely different program and they have to be able to adapt. Yeah. Right, you go from growing up on a Mac and then your college forces you to use PC. It's the same idea. You have to be able to navigate that technology or that just problem in general of I have a skill set to lean on. How can I use that skill set to help me solve that problem? And I don't know the exact number anymore, but years ago it was something like 90% of the jobs that we're preparing students for won't even exist when they get when they get into that job market. So they need to be prepared to take on anything and to mm -hmm. solve a problem and to tackle that problem without any fear to say, I've got this, I can do this. I've done it a million times. I'm in and I can handle this. You know, Ryan, from, from taking that to the next step, you are in a not only instructional responsibility role, but also a financial responsibility role of saying, what we don't know is what you need to prepare for. You are guiding districts every single day that they come into flux. How do you take that responsibility and feel like you're doing justice by, yeah. uh, and, and I don't know if that's being the front edge of uh, what is available and say, this is what, what is there, you know, we can't prepare for things that we don't know, but yeah. how are you guiding districts? Cause you're having, you're sitting around with, very important people, superintendents and board members beyond just teachers that yeah. you're you're providing training to use what they already have better. Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, the goal is to build something that I wish I had when I was a teacher. So like a resource that I could reach out to, not just some like, you know, fancy salesman that never taught before that, you know, tells you this is the best product or this is the best platform and it's only X amount of dollars, but you get curriculums like they didn't even use that word right they just would throw buzzwords out there so to be that like vetting arm that any client that we work with a partnering district like we feel like we're part of their team even from 
is this investment, you know, worth it? Is it the biggest bang for dollars? Are we being fiscally responsible with what's going on? So, so I, I think it's refreshing because I think schools get excited about the work that we're doing, seeing that we'll pick, you know, different things and vendors from different people and our team will vet it out. Does it work? Is there a yearly subscription? What's the cost? How many students are going to do it? But more importantly, what, what is the student experience? Like what are the students going to get out of having this program? And then how, our teachers going to support it? How can we support the teachers? What's the onboarding look like? So a lot of people have called us like a coach for the instructional coaches, like, uh, you know, a vendor, reseller, consultant, whatever you want to call us that they can rely on to help them get some pretty cool things, knowing that every day we're waking up trying to figure out what does the future of education look like and how can we do that? So, you know, even backing up a little bit further, you know, to his point about, I think for education is if, if school becomes a spot where you could look at any and all experiences from arts to plant science, agriculture, hydroponics, coding, electronics, poetry, writing, whatever. If school is a series of experiences and every kid, regardless of grade, ability, level, gifted, not gifted, life skills, has all of those experiences to figure out what they like and don't like, that's going to help them create more of a purpose and a passion, right? Because if I wake up every day knowing that, hey, I'm excited about esports, okay, I need this level of math, this level of reading, and I should look for these experiences in my school to build my craft to one day wake up in the world of esports, that's going to be exciting to me. So mm-hmm. I think often in schools, kids don't have a purpose. They don't realize that a lot of their passions and hobbies can be careers. So all the stuff that we do in STEM and ed tech and that all world, it's like just trying to create as many experiences as possible for kids to, to see it. Um, and, and I think though, easier said than done, right? You guys, we've all been in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So cool. The cooler things that I do usually relate to more funding and or more things that I have to learn as a teacher but I think that's where you can kind of pick and choose new programs you implement and what's going on. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, if we focus on what experiences are and what goes into those experiences, each school, each year could be doing something and improving. And, and I think that's the way a lot of people are headed, which is exciting. So I want to, I want to speak to our regular ed classroom teachers that are listening, which I know we have a lot of, and, and go back to yeah. our roots of being just a classroom teacher where as elementary we have them. You're still yeah. there. Yep. Um, Didn't graduate. You can yet. say go back to your roots as fourth grade yeah. since you're moving to fourth grade. Finally, finally <laughs> passed fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> so right. congrats on that. So going back as yeah. self-contained teachers or as someone that had you know six, yeah. seven classes a day where you were teaching science, we were teaching all the subjects, bringing in this cool stuff. How would you encourage a teacher that? says, I want to do this. I see the value. You know, I see what Tom is saying of, I want to, I want them to have that problem solving mentality. Mm. How do you just start to bring that into your classroom? How do you get your mindset ready and your students mindset ready? And, and what are the, some of those initial experiences you would recommend for them to, to check out or try with their students? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not new, but the whole idea about like the process over product, right? Like, we have a saying here when we do a lot of the design thinking stuff and inventing, I'm sure you're the same way. It's like, we want kids to be able to share their ideas off at the roughest and earliest stages. So we want you to share something that's not polished. You're not getting graded on the thing that you're making. You're getting graded on the journey you took to get mm-hmm. there. Right? Like, are you reflecting? Are you reiterating? Are you inventing? Are you, are you doing that? So that's something you could take in every class, maybe math. Cause you need a right answer at some point. I don't know, but I didn't teach math physics. I mean, I taught physics, but uh, the whole point is like, you know, more of a, hey, let's look, even if you got something wrong, mm-hmm. go back and do it again. And that was, uh, you know, years that I taught was LMS Schoology. You could set assessments to take them over and over again. And 
I think for me as an eighth grade science teacher, the more that I got away from like big, huge summative assessments that were tests and quizzes, it was much easier for me to fit in some of these PBL stuff, more of experiences, more exploratory, mm -hmm. toying around with like genius hour and integrating that in some, in some concepts, which, so I think a lot of schools that we work with, it's the mindset culture of focus more on the process than the product. You know, what experiences are you giving kids? How are they reflecting on those experiences? I think it's much easier to tackle some of this open-ended stuff. You mentioned it earlier too, support from administrators to say like, yeah, this go give it a try. You know, mm -hmm. let's see, even you as a teacher reflect and iterate what you're doing. And, and that seemed to be a healthy step for me um, to kind of get more of this interdisciplinary project-based stuff out. Oh, I want to jump in for one second when yeah. you're talking about process. I was working with an art teacher this past year and she wanted me to look at her rubrics for the projects that they did. Mm. And she said that, you know, her students at this point were electing to take art. So they were, they were mostly passionate about it. And we didn't change any of our rubrics. All we did was when the students got to a stage of the rubric where they were at the decision point of like when it came to shading, like they were at that part of the project, they met with the teacher and said, here's how I plan on shading this piece. Mm. And the teacher would evaluate their understanding of the skill and give them a grade on that in the moment. And then also provide feedback and say, well, that's good, but don't forget to do this, this, and this, and make notes of that. And then their final product was graded on the use of the feedback, not mm -hmm. how well it was performed. And so the, the richness of it was so much deeper yeah. and the products improved as well because the students were getting more live or more relevant feedback at the time versus post-assessment, giving them feedback on what they created. So when you said process over product, you made me, made me think of that. Yeah, and that, and we'll let you talk in a minute, but, um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> no, but like, but that's how the real world is, right? right? Like that's how jobs are. That's how industry is like, you know, Cole, who's helping out with the stream over there. Thanks, Cole. It's not, hey, Cole. Like he's constantly improving his craft. And after this one, he'll figure out a way to make us look better and or mm -hmm. shape or nicer. If, so, if we can, you know, yeah. yeah, if we can, tough task, Cole, I know, but, <laughs> but like, you know, even coming out of education now in more of the industry business world, like a lot of cases, it's not a one and done thing. It's mm -hmm. like, Hey, how are you improving each day? How are you getting better? And I think schools have to reflect that it goes back to your, are kids adaptable? Can they learn new things? And, uh, you know, company a salon that is next door to us, the drone dogs and drones and stuff like that. You don't even need to know coding language. You just have to know like how coding works. Like they'll teach you what you need to know. So it's not even memorization. It's more, you know, be able to apply all that problem solving, four C's, five C's, or float your boat, but some of that stuff. You have the floor. So, <laughs> um, what was the question again? <laughs> how, what are your recommendations to regular ed classroom oh, teachers, right. whether they're self-contained elementary, teaching a subject secondary, how do they bring yeah. this mindset and some of this into their classroom when they don't have a dedicated STEM time? Can I add to that? <laughs> I think a lot of people listening hear something like hour of code and feel like I know how to get through the first hour, but beyond that is really challenging. So maybe kind of go in that direction of saying, you know, if there's these preset activities that this robot tells me I can do, I'll do them and then I'm totally lost where I go next. Okay. So number one, don't be afraid to ask for help. There are people somewhere out there, whether they be in your district or someone like me who 
is just randomly around the area in Pennsylvania who will gladly help out. There's someone who will jump in at that guy. <laughs> but <laughs> um, people only. want to help you. People want you. They, they just want to. I want to share ideas with people. I would love. I'm not a very creative person, but I can apply things from my experience. So if you have an idea, if you're, and I love it when a teacher comes to me and says, Hey, we're working on this uh, math unit and I want to make it more dynamic. These are the topics that we hit throughout the unit. Will you work with me? And, and can we in integrate some technology? Can we, will this, will this idea that I'm thinking of work out or is there a better idea to integrate? I would, I love to work on those projects with people and that's just fantastic. I love that. I also refuse to grade, like you said, the grading process. I, mm -hmm. I refuse to grade on a final product. Mm -hmm. I want to give you a grade on grit. And every day that you came to me, did you make what you were working on better? Mm -hmm. Some people are natural, great coders. They can code three weeks or four weeks worth of a plan that I have, and they can be done in an hour. Great job, Billy. But... What are you going to do today to make that thing better? Mm -hmm. Don't just say, I'm done, it's over, project done. And sit there for three weeks and play you know, cool math games yeah. or something. Um, just what can you do to make this thing better? And that's another thing that you said, where do you go after that hour of code? The same exact thing. All right, guys, we did and accomplished what I was hoping we could do. So now what should we do with it? Like I'm, I, I'm out of ideas. I don't know what to do guys. So what can we do? How can, what would you do to make this better? What do you think we should do? Should we make it sillier? Should we uh, go for making it do a more complicated task? Where do you want to go with that? And when I do that with my students, that's when I get the coolest stuff. That's when I get the greatest ideas. Uh, this year we were playing around with Vex Robotics and some kids wanted to do a robot dance off. They built their robots. They coded them. They were great at it. They're like, we did your obstacle course. We're bored now. Okay, well, what do you want to do? Let's do something more fun. We'll pick a song. You're going to play it on your record player, and we're going to have robots dance off to it. And another, another group was like, well, we don't want to dance. We just want to make the robot do the entire course autonomously. Okay, great. You can do that too. So wherever your brain takes you with extending that activity, that's where that's where you get the awesomest stuff when you let students take charge. Well, and I think we hear this almost every week about when student-centered learning and giving them the autonomy to make decisions and kind of guide the process mm -hmm. as opposed to feeling like you have to control. And, and giving up that control is probably the hardest thing for so many of us as natural teachers because um, lecture is a lot of times the easiest, most convenient way to deliver. It just doesn't usually turn out effective. Um, so just kind of adding on to the, the idea of student-centered, how do you judge how big to make a project or product? Because I could easily see something like project-based learning when you say, oh, you know what, I have three weeks that I'm going to work on this, either turn into uh, a you know, a two-day activity that maybe, you know, you use your philosophy to expand it as much as you can, or it could easily bite off a huge project that could be multi-year. Mm -hmm. What are, is, is it parameters? Is it guidance? Is it, um, here are the, the principles that you're trying to accomplish? 
Where are you structuring it so you make sure it doesn't get out of hand? Two words, onboard. If I am doing something as a teacher and at any point I feel like I'm bored, then my students were bored two weeks ago. I thought you said on board. I was like, I what are you jumping on? I'm <laughs> bored. Okay. So, I mean, I have the huh. attention span of a fourth grader. So it does help for me when I do something. Yeah, we got the basics across. All right, guys, now I'm bored. I don't know what to do with this thing. What do you want to do with this? You know, you know what can be done. Let's use our imaginations. Let's do something better. Don't, you know, why am I the guy in charge here that says, you're gonna create this scratch project that's gonna make this happen and I want that to happen. Why? That's no fun. Yeah. There's no there's no engagement. They do the job and they get done. How can we make whatever it is we're doing better? How could I do a better job? Yeah. Help well, me do my job better. And you bit off a huge project when you really entered the field of, of opening the hub, which was mm -hmm. renovating an entire space and kind of, uh, I'm sure it wasn't haphazard, but knowing you, it might oh, have been a 100 little bit. Haphazard. Um, but in that realm of like that is a massive. There is certain parts of that that once you've gone through that step, you're not coming back, and you have to figure out a solution. If you're ripping things down, if you're you know uh, yeah. totally starting in one area, well, you can't leave one area look great and you know 75 percent of the space look dysfunctional. Yeah, and I think. You know, the opportunity we had was it couldn't get any worse than what it was. And we wanted a space that was not going to replace a class, but be like used as an extension of all classes. So traditionally, if I'm doing a lesson, whatever subject, I might have to go to the library to do research. So I sign the library out. I go there, do research and I come back or I have to use the computer lab for this lesson. So I sign at a computer lab. It was the same kind of mindset. It was just I'm now signing out the maker space. And uh, it was cool because, again, even helping you know, I had Spanish teachers using the makerspace to build out floor plans and build structures and the whole tinkering, bringing that to other subjects, which, you know, lends it interdisciplinary and helps them create more experiences of it. But, but I think at the end of the day was like, how can this spaces be used with intention that if I'm doing a lesson related to this, I can go find that material or like have that be a place that could get messy or have the materials in it that was used. So, um, which was good, but yeah, but, but even, the building of that spot was an experience because I used students to help me out. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any money to do it, so it was really cheap labor. But the other, the other good part was, um, like they they loved it. Like it was something different. It was something that they could own and something they could do. And going back to your part about, like there, there's no real end. You can always improve. You can always be better at something. You know, like having these challenges. I, I think one of the core things I ended up doing was I brought back like the mousetrap car and we used it for physics and kinetic potential energy and simple machines. And, you know, throughout the, throughout the phase of the project, you can start by building one. But then when you got the concept of like wheel and axle and friction, and how kinetic stored energy or potential stored energy turns into kinetic, like they improve their mousetrap car as it went. Was it harder than just giving them a textbook and graphic organizers felt? Like, yeah, but was it a better learning experience? I think so, because not only did they get the content of some of the stuff, but more importantly, they worked on grit and worked on, you know, being resilient and trying to figure stuff out and fight through it and improve upon what it is. And the sky's the limit in that case, because they always kept trying to make their car go further and the process of reflecting on what worked and journaling. Like that's the stuff, the skills that you need in any job, you know, any job that you have, you're looking out how, how can I be better than a competitor? How can I set myself apart to be hired? Like that's the mindset I think we have to bring in, bring in more schools. Well, in that, uh, I'll let you jump in, but just that mindset of that unit or that lesson, whatever you were describing, mm -hmm. when you do it again, 
it becomes easier. It becomes oh, yeah. easier for you to plan. Yep. And it also becomes easier for the students to navigate because they become comfortable with that style of instruction and then they they crave that, yeah, and, that and, style of instruction. And and that's where the intentionality of like learning management mm -hmm. systems or we had Schoology at the district was I could put in checkpoints or I could put in little quizzes to kind of check in to assess what they need. I could put out information. So like that's an example of intentional implementation of ed tech to help me accomplish what I wanted to do there. Well, and then you add in another tool in the maker spaces where the resources and materials available and we have the tools there that the kids could use. And so that's where it all like fits together. Say, so, okay, what is needed to make this experience? You know? One of the things I remember you uh, did when you were in the classroom was you would use like data validation to yeah. make yep. sure kids were only able to submit a final answer. And you might be familiar We've done like an, an exit room, yep. the idea of in a Google form, you have to put a specific answer. A lot of times they, they describe it like birth date if they wanted a certain uh, pattern, making sure you follow yeah. through there, that you would go through and take mundane tasks and just simply say, you know, if, if this is a passive activity, you need to submit the correct answer. Yep. You did three days of homework. Can you go through and you have to submit in the next 10 minutes some kids are scrambling to get it done, yep. whereas, you know, kids that did it are able to plug it in and go on and do yeah, something. And, and I'll add tools like that where I could monitor and track what students were doing without even really hovering over their shoulder asking them. Like it allowed for more intentional one-on-one -on -one meeting or small group meetings because we had tools like Schoology or Enter, whatever yeah. LMS you're using. Like, And, and that's the intent behind, you know, what you were talking, I think we're getting to is like future of education through ed tech stuff. Like why couldn't you have that you know, mass customized learning, self-paced type personalized learning happen within schools where here's a series of experiences and processes. It's a real word, right? Processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, it sounded fancy. Um, where like we track how far you got in it and even that, okay, you're done with that one. Well, half the class isn't, but half the class is. Why don't you guys move on? Like it just allows that autonomy, self-choice that I think scares a lot of teachers, but it's like an organized chaos, right? It's an organized, things are happening all at the same time. But I I enjoyed days like that teaching because it felt like everything was more active. They're not just listening to me talk for 50 minutes. It's, you know, you have more control over it, but they also have control on what they want to do each day. Do you remember what you wanted to? Yeah, uh, so I just wanted to add that a really hard lesson for me to learn was where to draw the line, where to say, all right, we have beaten this horse enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few, there's four or five of us who are still just trucking with it and going hardcore, mm -hmm. but the rest of us there, we're ready to move on. So mm -hmm. where do you draw that line? It's a very, very hard thing to, yeah. to nail down. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that helped me the most is I watch when students are coming into my room. I get new students every 45 minutes. So when they come into the room, if they're bouncing and ready to go and opening up computers, then they're ready to continue with what we're doing. When they come in and they put their computer down on the table and it's quiet, then it was, it's either the day after Halloween or they're done. <laughs> like, okay, are we going to do this again? Mm -hmm. And then that's when you say, you have to say, okay, we've, maybe we've exhausted this topic and it's time to move on to something else. It's, it's a tough one to gauge, but it's very important. And it's, so. but what I like about that is it's going to change year to year and, Class to class. Every class, yep. Grade to grade. And once I had a decent asset or a decent amount of assets in my room of technology pieces and different STEM pieces, I can remember I had years where 
when I said, hey, we're going to be doing this as part of our enrichment activity, they would go nuts for it. So like I kept using those more than I may have with with different classes. And, and what I would say is for regular education teachers looking to integrate it, think about the as a secondary teacher, the uh, prep you teach that you're strongest in or that you taught for the longest or as an elementary teacher teaching all subjects, which one do you feel most confident with? and make that the one that you try to figure out how can I innovate this a little bit, right? Math was, was by far my strongest subject as a teacher initially. And so bringing in coding robots to code shapes and to, you know, use that to explore geometry and, and explore, uh, you know, um, like rates and things like that was Mm -hmm. a lot easier for me to do because I was confident in that instruction. And then also just looking at, you know, what is out there that you can do, to enhance the experience or to make it it different than than what you can and and a lot of the stuff is free a lot of the stuff is is online and available like we've i think we've mentioned at least a couple other times like tinkercad is one of the best programs out there it's a 3d design program that you can take to a 3d printer but you don't need Mm -hmm. a 3d printer for i taught all of my three-dimensional shapes in fifth grade purely through tinkercad because it's better than a flat piece of paper Right, a flat piece of paper with three-dimensional shapes does not make sense to a lot of students. And even working with kindergarten teachers, they they took a 3D printing course with me, and they're like, "This is great, like I love this, but I don't I don't think my kindergartners can print with this." I said, "You're right, they can't. They can't design on their own." But they had a unit where they looked at how the pitch of a ramp and the length of a ramp changed how far a ball rolled. It was part of their faucet. Mm. I said, well, why don't you design a basic ramp, which is just a three-dimensional triangle in Tinkercad, and let each group tell you, make it longer, make it taller, make it shorter, and have them design their ramp by talking to you and print each group's ramp and see who's wins, right? So they were doing Tinkercad. They weren't dragging the mouse because they can't handle that, but they can still go through that process. Have you seen the most recent updates? You could do that. They've added physics now. So you can you can create those ramps and alter them, and then you and can actually the put a sphere on there and watch. Did you control down. like gravity too? Or something? Oh, they're, yeah. they're, they've added so much to it. There's so many different possibilities. So even using Tinkercad, I've complimented Ryan too much already. So Tommy G, I remember one thing that you had said early on was the idea of if my kids can pitch to you a purpose for anything that they're designing. We'll use that as an example. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you could go to the local corner store and purchase for a few dollars that you'd be willing to print that. And I just think something that stuck out to me was if you take that same mentality to a broader perspective and say, you know, it is, I love to use the word grit and just kind of processing through, feel free to take it in this direction too. I, I feel like website design, for instance, I don't know what grade level you would consider introducing that to kids, but when it transitioned into things like uh, Wix and and Weebly when it was around and and Google Sites where they could drag and drop and they didn't need to know the backend coding, especially with future of education, we see things like AI and we feel like, oh, there's no way that I am smart enough or, or capable enough or it can go down that realm, you're seeing grit be less needed to do cool things, but you also need grit to understand why those things work to improve. So in that 
realm as we we step into that next wave and you're saying you need to make it better i know that you can drive this robot like a remote control but you're not allowed to do this in my classroom how do you continue to go back to that you know i you could have done that in three minutes type scenario or bought it for two dollars how do you apply that same philosophy to what you're choosing to to put in front of kids today and going forward uh that's cool but i can put this down mm. like i i just checked this out this is really neat i love what you did here this is super fun but i'm good now i just i did it for two minutes and that was a really neat thing there but uh how are you gonna hook me and keep me because the game you were just playing you've been playing that for four days now mm. every day you're in here you don't put that thing down and it's not any better than what you did here but how are you going to hook me and keep me like how are you going to innovate this how are you going to make it better not that it needs to be better but can you hook me like that does mm. how are you going to do that and they want to people they they every student looks at something that they're passionate about and they want you to not be able to put it down they want to hook that. They want you to not be able to turn off their YouTube channel. They want you to subscribe and watch everyone. How are you? How are you going to get me? Whatever it is, you got to get me. This is cool, but I'm not hooked yet. Keep even if you up. are, yeah, yeah. even if you are hooked, you yeah. have to be like, oh man, how can you, how can you make that a little cooler? <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> but not to not to uh, break their heart, but to encourage them to keep going with something. Yeah, I just it's one of those things that I feel like, again, and that enters more in your realm as as you're working with these, uh, you're that middleman, uh, realistically making suggestions, I would assume in yeah. this current role, um, and saying, you know, things like Fork Farms, which I know that you've uh, ambassadored uh, plenty, uh, have been an ambassador for, like the meaningful, and I, I love your inclusion of things like Woodshop, where, you know, there is no quicker, safer, different way to, if I need something like this skill, there's only one way to really make that happen. How are you kind of merging, again, this, as that grit level potentially becomes less, the idea of, of uh, intentionality mm -hmm. and, continuing to to push through why do i need to know the code or the un, the understanding behind it yeah well and i think you know i think there's tons of schools you know it goes back to the comment you're saying about like there's tons of teachers on schools doing really cool things it's like when we partner with the district or we work with the school we don't say like hey just throw everything out it's no like audit or look at like what are days that you like teaching what are some cool programs that you're already doing but there's always something to improve upon. There's always something to, to create, which is why I get excited about like innovative ed or STEM programs because the course in itself should be evolving as new tech becomes available, right? Like we should have modules right now showing kids the powers of AI and responsibility with AI. Like if theoretically speaking, if your school not doing that right now, I'd argue you might even be a little bit behind like some of the tools yeah. that exist. And you know, then you get into conversations like, well, are we still teaching them typing, which I hope you're not, but it's another day. But, you know, are we, uh, you know, Google Docs, all that stuff is very important stuff. But I think the goal is if we're not trying to, if we're not trying every day to improve education or create new programs for kids, I think we're missing out because the world in itself is changing. So, you know, we as Fluxspace, if we could be a spot that at least could show you what we think's out there or like, hey, these are set of experiences that we can bring to schools come see it, experience it, you know, test it out, play with it, understand how this could pr prevent or create more opportunities for schools. Um, you know, I think that, I think we're winning, but 
again, it, it's not tech for tech's sake. It's not just we're going to do STEM for STEM. I have a 3D printer or a makerspace that just need 3D printer. It's like still have some intentionality behind it. And there's more of a plan there. I think more of a plan, there's more programs stick. I still teach typing. Do you really? <laughs> yes, I do. do you really? Yeah. So, so you also work with, you know, K through. So well, there's, there's an intentionality behind it. And I will explain Maybe we my save this for another session, but I would love to debate this with you. Because <laughs> I, would, I would love a, a gentleman that's been in education for about 50 years. I would love to hear what, no, in all seriousness, like what, what's, what's the title? And let's just. Make sure we do one thing for our listeners, not our viewers. Ryan, can you control your hands and stop bumping this, bumping this table? Where do I, where do I <laughs> All right, but, and you use the word that, and I want to hear your answer, that we've been circulating this whole conversation is being intentional. Mm-hmm. The, the word intentional, I think, is very important in this, and we've mentioned it a lot. So what's your intentionality in I typing? I fought for years to have typing completely removed from the curriculum that I was forced to teach. And once it was completely removed after two or three years, there was a significant decrease in any student being able to put letters into a machine. And starting with my kindergartners, I cannot teach them keyboarding until about January when they've got more of a grasp on the entire alphabet. But when they come back from Christmas break, we spend a couple weeks learning keyboard awareness. Where is the letter A? Where is that letter S? What happens when you push that letter? Okay. We more or less play games with it. So they can learn it. I don't teach home row. Never will. Okay. It's I, I think that's where I'm useless. at. I'm at like, you know, high school class I took. Like, who cares if I don't use my pinky? Like, come find me in 10 years and tell me why I'm, you know, like. No, not at it. all. No, but, but I, you know, it's. The digital, not those that are digital natives, the digital immigrants of like. Well, it's like you said, it's awareness and it's being more efficient, right? Uh It's being able to type more code, to create faster, to to be able to use your time more efficiently. And it's the same as knowing the control shortcuts, right? Control Mm -hmm. X, control V, that that type of thing. It's important for them to be more productive in that sense. The typing I'm talking about is like, oh, you're at 50 words per row. How do we get you to 100 rows? Because that's going to determine. No, like. If you're, are you a slow typer? Is that why? No. <laughs> yeah. How do you make them capital? Yeah. Now they're all capital. No. Like, no, that happens in kindergarten. Correct. And and I, I I'm I'm appreciative that you're you're answering that way because I guess it makes sense. Like even the shortcuts and you know mm-hmm. shift control, what it does. What I'm talking about is like. There's still schools that out there that like, oh, well, we need to make you a faster typer to go do it. And, and that's that's a, a but priority. That's such a wa- yeah, right? and that's such a waste yeah. of time. It's mm-hmm. like. And again, like some of the Google Docs and navigating, like I think it's powerful. And, and I think computer tech programs, not, not really getting off on a tangent, but there's parallels to STEM and coding. But okay, if I'm if a computer tech, I'm going to teach you how to use a Google Doc. I'm going to teach you how to share. I'm going to teach you how to do that. Absolutely. That transfers into ELA classes, math classes, where they're using those skills to do work and do assignment. Same thing for coding. Hey, I'm going to teach you some Scratch stuff. But now they can use Scratch coding, right. block-based coding, in ELA, and math. And so I think it runs parallels there. What right. I'm saying is I think a lot of schools are stuck in their ways. Cursive could be maybe we table that for another day. But, like, if your argument is I don't have enough time in the day to do it, let's audit the time in the day you do have with kids that's instructional-wise, and let's value what right. you're actually doing with each kid. Because if they're not getting experiences, like, what – Think about what cool experience they could be getting in place of something that you've just been doing it because you, it's we've always done it, right? I put a great value on uh, voice typing. Yeah. So once they learn where the letters are on a keyboard or they have a rough grasp, 
then from first, second, third, first day of school, every year they we practice the right way to voice type. There are yeah. very, very poor ways to voice type, and it doesn't work for you, huh. and it frustrates the teacher and the students. If you spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes reminding them, this is the distance from the microphone, speak with a normal voice, yeah. speak clearly in full sentences, then you've I've taken 20, 30 minutes out of my time, but now that's going to transfer into their classroom yeah. every single day. So it's a different way to type. I still do teach it. And it's as a as a classroom teacher integrating that stuff in, again, the question is how do I how do I fit this in when yeah. I struggle to hit all the standards that I hit? Mm -hmm. And I you and I have had this conversation because I know we were very similar for years in bringing more of this in and and not yeah. and not cutting things out of the curriculum and saying like, yeah, my students still perform the same as they did every other year, but they had this many more experiences and yep. they've learned this many more skills mm -hmm. you know i'm never saying hey this is gonna raise your scores but they'll they'll stay where they're at they'll still continue to learn the content but also gain all of these other experiences you just do again with intentionality like the yes. analogy i always use for google slides you want to teach your classroom how to use google slides because in theory they've never used it before mm -hmm. do a vocab review have them put the uh, word as the title yep. the uh, the Definition as the, the it's just the description and put a picture in that represents that word. Mm -hmm. Now you've taught them how to use Google Slides and you did your vocab review that you needed. Mm -hmm. Like it, you don't have to be super creative in how you embed that. Now you can do a Google Slides project because they've learned that program. Yeah. Now you can do a coding project because you had them code something to go to six different vocab words in you know sequential order if it's if it's a history class. So there are ways to bring that. Oh, yeah. into your your classroom yeah it's almost the ed tech stem sprinkles right. on something that already exists right. right and that goes back to don't throw everything out and start over mm -hmm. but there's some ways that you can improve upon lessons you have right so now. to wrap up this conversation i want you to Done leave already? Our, yeah we're, we're getting there oh. to uh to i want you to leave our audience with with something that they can walk away with and think about and some advice so we're going to speak. Leave, we're going to leave them powered up. Yes, we are. Okay. That's Matt's job. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I want you to speak to decision makers, okay. right? Or someone that Just can don't get teach, in, type it. that can get into the <laughs> ear of decision makers on what are the possible next steps to innovate a single class or a yeah. larger space. Okay. And then Tom, I'd love you to speak more to teachers that have been teaching tech ed or STEM or something that is that isolated special that. What can they start to look at or what can they start to do to continue to innovate that that program? And then, Matt, maybe you can wrap it up with like a regular ed teacher. Yeah. Okay. Start? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I just got nervous. <laughs> no, it's, it's a tough question. It is. Um, no, I, I would say our experience districts that we're working with, um, I've always appreciated the team approach. Right. Like you're trying to transform education. You're trying to bring new innovative programs to your school, get all of the stakeholders on board, like the computer tech teacher, science teachers that are excited about like any teacher that shows excitement about ed tech or like involve them on a team. I'm not saying a committee of like 50 people, but like form that group, because a lot of times my experience was sometimes ed tech or STEM is like put on you to do without you really willing to want to do it. So I think look for your the cheerleaders, the early adopters that are going to get excited about doing this thing and have them have buy-in in terms of the conversation. You know, look for those teachers that have expressed interest in updating program and programs, making new spaces, new experiences, things like that. Because often we do we do a ton of tours here. Um, so quick plug for us, any 
district that wants to come hang out, spend the day. The rule is just come around lunch because then I get um, some cheesesteaks. <laughs> but, um, you know, the whole goal would be come as a tour. Yeah, I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had districts travel all, all over the state, which is pretty cool. But, you know, that team that I talked about, like, hey, here's what we're doing well. Here's some goals that we have and here's where we think we can go. And that think we could go and where we can go, that's where we kind of help shape that there. So people walk around flux space, they walk around the experience center, they get excited about what future of learning could look like from a very hands-on, these are things that are happening in other districts or, hey, the groups of 30 students over there are working on empathy and design thinking because we're partnering with that district on their makerspace STEM program. So mm -hmm. I would say the, the team approach, the try before you buy, the crawl, walk, run, I say a lot, like try some things, sampling things here. Um, which isn't great business for me because sometimes I say, well, hey, don't buy 100 of those. Just maybe get one or two and try it out to see if you like it. But I think that's refreshing for schools because, you know, you're really practicing what you preach in this whole like, hey, let's implement design these experiences mm -hmm. based off intention and not just flash in the pan, tech sake for tech sake. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that planned approach, team approached crawl, walk, run is uh, something we love to do. I have almost the same exact answer as Do you? you, oddly enough. Um, I would go out, I would say go out there. If you're feeling stale, you feel like, I, and, and it happens to me often, like I, I, need, I need something new. I, I haven't done something new in a while. Uh, go out there, find a new network of people. You know, there's lots of ways to find new networks out there. So go find another network of educators that are doing something amazing that's going to inspire you. Go to someplace like uh, Pete and C., or go to ISTE, which is in Philadelphia this year in just a couple of days. Yeah, when's this coming go, up? It's coming up before ISTE. After. Oh, okay. So ISTE go, check, go to ISTE yeah. next. Yeah. Yeah. ISTE was awesome. You should go. Yeah. Um, when you're there, come find us. We're always yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but go out there and see what other people are doing. There's no reason for you to sit in your basement and try and reinvent the wheel. Go look what other people are doing. See what they're doing and be inspired by that to do something different. You're, you're not like, alone. They're gonna say like, "Don't be in your basement crying." Like, yeah. <laughs> I went to some like teachers. Like, well, and it's you are far from alone. There's thousands of us out there. Mm -hmm. Go learn from those people. Go see what they do, and learn from them. And it, you know, what I love about you giving that advice is you easily could have been doing the same thing for the last seven years, and you would still be in the upper third of what STEM teachers are doing in the area, mm -hmm. right? And like, I remember so many times learning something from you and then texting you maybe eight months later about like, you know, oh, I just did these. Like, yeah, that's awesome. I don't do those anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I moved on. Yeah. So then I'm learning the next thing from you because you've kept, you have such an innovative space. And I think that's why your students thrive so much because you have not become stale in your mindset. And that mindset is so important for your students. And Ken's getting accolades from your, you know, disposed ideas. Which is That's great. The thing. Yeah, take yeah. it. Um, yeah. If you, if I'm doing the same, and I've always worked this way, if I'm doing the same job in three years that I did three years ago, then I need to retire and I need to leave that job. Mm -hmm. My job should not be the same every year. A job in tech like this, it should be different all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. From the regular ed teacher perspective, I love what you said. Um, just that idea of finding a network. I've shared I'm moving grade levels for the first time in my career and trying to figure out this new norm and this responsibility. And I think uh, the word I've used in previous episodes is just permission, giving yourself permission to 
have days that you do incredible and you really gear up and then you have some maybe lower tech or less ambitious days or you turn it over to kids a little bit more and, and just stand to those same foundational items of if it's good for kids, you're not going to have any worries about it. Because I think uh, it's an uncomfortable conversation to say that, you know, if I have a kid going to your class and coming to me and they have a great experience or they went to the hub and they come back to my uh, ELA class, <clears throat> we are in a position that, you know, it is easy to get ourselves less than favorable when we are pushing others out of their comfort zone. And that's a, that's a realistic thing that as you go, uh, you have to be mindful of. We have a, a buddy of all of ours, Mike Creed, who sat on actually after an episode and just said that he really struggled with his coworkers at one point, one of the schools he was in because he was not taking no for an answer. He felt like it was a good idea, even though the way it had been done for a long time, uh, it didn't matter. It was the way that he was going to run his space. And I think as we go into this venue of, we don't know what we're preparing for. We don't know what the kids are going to throw at us. All we know is that we are going to do right by kids and we're going to see them bloom and, and just kind of take off. That's really the mindset of it gives in that permission to say, you know, pressure board is not invited in on the first day that I'm trying this activity, but it could be a showcase or it could be an opportunity that I'm, you know, summatively showing off uh, Tom G's old ideas uh, as you know, these progressive new ideas. So I, I just, I think that permission, uh, the, the lack of, I have to do it all the time. Um, if I, if I just need them to do traditional worksheets, but, uh, you know, that there is a place for that and, and maybe more mundane tasks, that idea of using an LMS to, to solidify, Hey, can we move on? And, and those type of features, I think really is where we, we frame purpose and, and, uh, as we go forward, making what is a great product for kids continue to be, you know, what turns into them blossoming. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing I'll add to that, too, is if you're looking at something that's not free, one is there are grants out there. Your mm -hmm. district likely has an education foundation. If they don't, there are hundreds of grants out there that you have the opportunity to to get something, just take a chance on something that you saw at a conference, right? Or you have that network and you get some ideas from, from that network or just show it to your kids and say, we can write a grant to try to get one of these. What do you, what do you want to try to get, right? Mm -hmm. You might have a couple months to use it and then I'm going to use it with my class next year, but I want, I want to try it. And, and if you do get that funding, I would encourage you, although we said this seven years ago, don't buy from Amazon. That's what we used to yeah. say because mm -hmm. we didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And now we know like, you know, you're in this, you're on the other side now, yeah. but there are good resellers of these products that can give you training, that can give you continued to support. Yeah. Something breaks, they can help you replace, like they're, they can be a resource for you. So, you know, depending on where you are, um, those resellers are national or, or more local, but reach out to those. And also, Watch, can I jump in there too, please? I think the one thing that was always missing was like the value added with coming with buying something. Mm -hmm. Like the right. idea of like, you know, I felt like when I would buy stuff for my school, like it was just either the manufacturer could help out or on a site, but there's not like a local entity entity that I could keep like relying on right. to help me out. And I was in a smaller district, so I didn't really have any tech coaches or instructional coaches or like tech guys that would help 
the implementation mm-hmm. of it. So that's, I think that's the role that we fill a lot of times is like the more boots on the ground, hey, we'll show up, kind of help out with some of this stuff. Because it does take time. It does take investment of money, time, effort. Mm-hmm. If we help out with the time and effort to, you know, keep his stuff working or answer questions or things like that, I think that's that's the win and that's the value added in some of it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And And tap your administrators. They have money to spend. They do always have money to spend. Yeah. And usually around like February, they're getting the emails from the business office. This money is about to expire if you don't spend it. Use it or lose it. it. It's gone. And and use your tactic of take whatever you're buying, figure out exactly how many kids are going to get their hands on it, and divide the total cost by the number of students and say, this is only going to cost $1.99 per student in the first year. So by next year, it'll cost less than a dollar per kid to have this experience. So it's a... Those those frames can be a nice way to and, to convince those administrators and have an open door for them to come see right. it. Or if you can get a trial, reaching out to them directly, right. or I'm sure yeah. you can line them up. Like have them in there to yeah. be. I've said it before. My kids are the best advocate for good teaching. Mm-hmm. So if my kids are really like driving a teacher crazy, that's a great way for them to come down and say, "What in the world were you doing?" Mm-hmm. In the same sense of if the product is actually usable and meaningful and and changing learning and the kids can advocate for it it's really hard to say no to a 10 year old Mm -hmm. especially when you do have money you know that there's a budget for it so to officially wrap this up just let our audience know how and where they can connect with you and and then we'll close this on out yeah ryan anthony um (laughs) our website is fluxspace.io Main headquarters is in Norristown, PA, just outside of Philly, but we have a location in Middletown, PA, coming online soon, Central PA. That one's attached to Tattered Flag Brewery. That'll be fun. And then we have a spot in Pittsburgh. Uh, We're currently in a spot there, but we're actually looking to get a bigger building out there and also upstate New York in Geneva. Um, But yeah, main main part would be our website, uh, www.fluxspace.io. F-L-U-X-S. P-A-C-E dot I-O. Science teacher. And <laughs> supporting canceling typing and spelling classes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and Mr. at Mr. Ryan Anthony on Twitter or all that stuff. Okay. I'm Tom Gillish. I guess, should I just give my email address? Probably since you are yeah, since I'm Yeah, I stay away from Twitter. So my name is actually spelled G-U-E-L-L-I-C-H at Gmail. That's it. That's how you can get a hold of me if you need it. Excellent. So, as always, follow Matt at EdTech Neighbor, myself at and at Ken Ehrman, and our podcast at Power Edu Up, and we'll link up to all that stuff in our show notes, or just scroll down wherever you're watching or listening, and you'll you'll find all that there. So, gentlemen, thanks again for joining us. Where um, where do we get a T-shirt? Notice that. Yeah, you can buy them on uh, TeachBetterNetwork.com. <laughs> our swag store is there. Yeah, but you, you get them that. I got, I've got a mug. I don't have a T-shirt. <laughs> he has an Armia. 200 shows. Oh, all right. I know. I didn't even bring This is 133, and he's only been to about 120. <laughs> oh, get out of here. <laughs> all right, Matt. Why don't, you, why don't you take us on out of here? Well, you broke our, our rule of not having friends on the podcast. So right. it took us 132 episodes until we have close friends on. Friends. Yeah, you made it. So, But as we powered down this episode, no doubt you guys left us powered up. Thank you. I, I know this episode's a tough one because we are trying to speak to things that we don't know. And I think you guys did a great job, especially as we launch into a new school year with plenty of new opportunities. So for for our audience, stay well uh, as always, and we'll talk to you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators. We're making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.